Move this back if somebody occupies that seat right there. I think so. Hopefully so. I know we're going to have some more filtering in here, but uh, we have 42 chapters to cover in, uh, I guess, 10 or 11 weeks now with a gospel meeting, and so I don't, I don't want to be uh, responsible in the times that I uh, teach for us falling too far behind. So I, I watched and saw that we got to Job chapter 1 and verse 12. I uh, believe that the plan was Job uh, introduction in 1 through 3. Our, our plan is to get 1 through 3 today. I think that's a reasonable plan. Um, I'm not going to uh, tread the ground, but I'm going to try to get to Job chapter 1 and verse 12 
when and and trust that if you have not gotten all the introductory material that you go back it's on YouTube uh, thanks to the uh, AV guys they're making this NPR class available there so you can go back I would suggest if you have to miss a week and you want to stay current on what's being said in the class that you go back and, and do that um, you understand that this is uh, a book of poetry and I'm sure that that was dealt with in what Hebrew poetry it's not like we think about our poetry rhyming uh, but there, there are devices that set it apart as poetry and yet it concerns a real man, a real event uh, and a, a, a real dilemma that all of us face and God has preserved this for us and I want you to think about that as we go through uh, how what's happening to Job is something that on some level is going to happen to all of us uh, and it is definitely one of those Romans 15.4 passages uh, where the things that were written here were written for our learning. Um, and what we're going to do as we get started today is we're going to see more about Satan's involvement, more about Satan here, uh, because in Job 1 and verse 12, the troubles have not begun yet. Things are still peaceful. Things are still going well. The Satan has come, the adversary, and he has uh, asked to have the ability to have his way with Job, and uh, God is going to let him do that. I want to make some observations uh, that we can even see in the book of Job about the devil, however, that can help us as we walk through this. Um, just about five or six things. The first thing that we need to know uh, about him is that, that he is not omnipresent. Okay, so he's going to and fro on the face of the earth. He's going from place to place. Um, it, it is possible that you have not personally been tested by the devil. He, he is not everywhere all at once. You think about the fact that there are nearly 8 billion people here. Now what we get from Matthew chapter 25, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10 and following is, is that he has those who are allies in his cause. He has angels um, who uh, do his work and bidding. So it may be that you in your own life have uh, had encounters, spiritually speaking, with uh, one of his angels. Now, when we think about who the devil would focus himself on, there are some that we can factor out right off the top, right? Do you think the devil is concerned in spending too much time in somebody who's not a Christian? I'm not saying that he wouldn't. We don't think that he's totally away from those folks because of what Jesus teaches in the parable of the soils. Because it's the devil that comes and snatches that seed out of their heart lest they believe. But that, those aren't really, on the whole, the ones he's concerned about. He's, as we often say, he's already got them, right? What about unfaithful Christians who, and we keep in mind here, James chapter 1, verse 12 through 14, that God does not tempt us to do evil. We're drawn away of our own lust and enticed. So often we want to give the devil credit for something that we deserve the credit for. And so if you're a child of God who is not faithful, who is struggling with your flesh and with you're overwhelmed, overcome by sin, does the devil need to waste his time? He's a, we're going to see he's wily, he's smart. Is he going to spend his time on you if you are a, a, a Christian who cannot even get faithfulness down? Who's he going to spend his time on? Where is he going to be the most productive? And what we see is he, he is super smart. He is a keen observer of behavior. And so it says something to me that God uh, reveals for us in the book of Job that the devil focuses on Job, on the faithful. Now I want you to keep this in mind when trials and difficulties come. 
Um, so often we're going to not know what's going on. It's going to rock our world. We're going to want to know how to respond to that. We're going to talk about the different things that happen. Um, certainly it hurts, and this is not to belittle that in any way, but it could be that you're seen as a threat to the adversary of God. Uh, and, and what an honor it is to be in the same position that Job was in. I, by the way, none of us are going to volunteer for that job, right? But if it happens, and inevitably it might, then we can keep that in mind. Alright, so he's not omnipresent. Another thing about him is that he is not omniscient. He cannot read. If, if Satan knew everything, he would have known how this would end, wouldn't he? He says, let me have the Adam so I can do this. And if you let me do this, he's going to curse you to your face. He doesn't know. And so it's not a foregone conclusion that, that Job is going to be faithful in all of this. And so we know that he can't see as God can. Um, he's also not omnipotent. How do we know he's not omnipotent? From Job. Yeah. It's not carte blanche, right? And he can't do it his own way. He sees that there's a hedge around uh, Job. And what does he ask? Let, let me, yeah, take it away. Now, if you have all power, you don't have to ask for permission. And, by the way, what happens in the first go-round? What, what, what are the limitations put on him? Can't touch his skin. Can't touch his flesh. And so God has to give him permission to do all that. Alright, so I know this is not something you haven't heard before, but keep in mind as you walk through Job that the book of Job shows us all of this. There's a, a couple other things I want you to observe before we get into the text. Is that Number one, his basic character is evil. Um, we know that in church, but sometimes we can, we can really just not see uh, how uh, diabolical, how wicked that he is. Hollywood doesn't help that with all the depictions. Those of you who are a little older, remember George Burns? Uh, no, that's wrong. I guess he was trying to be God, right? Okay, uh, it was a different one. It was the one that was right after that where um, the devil's been portrayed in this real cool, hip, relevant, you know, the only one in the room that really gets it. Don't fall for that. He is evil in every way. You see what he does to a man that's described how? Blameless and upright. A man who does not who turns away from evil. A man who, who has done nothing wrong, nothing to deserve what's going to happen to him. And the, the, the devil is obsessed with him. Doing all that he can to upend his life and destroy him. Number five, he has no care for mankind. Let's not kid ourselves. He doesn't want anything short of your destruction. And we're going to see that in Job's case. And his attacks are calculated. I want you to see how wily he is as we walk through this. Who he, who he allows to live. Who he allows to die. And uh, how the friends function. These individuals that we're introduced to. Now in Job chapter 1 and verse 12, I want you to notice as we pick up in the text here, that it says that, he said, that the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. And so Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. In verse 13 it says, Now on the day that when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their older brother's house, this is the last moment of the calm before the storm. Okay, so the picture of Job from Job 1.1 through Job chapter 1 and verse 13 is everything's going his way. God doesn't say anything to contradict the devil's claim that you've put a hedge around him and you've made his way to prosper. He is, he is living in the sunshine of the good life. Now, he's behaved himself well in those times, but there's no mistaking that he's got everything. 
So if we were to try to paint the picture of him in a 21st century lens, what would we say about Job? How, how would we describe him in our terms that we would understand? What's his life like? It's, it's easy. It's blessed. It's blessed. Did you say it was righteous? It's right. He's got... He's rich. He's got seven boys, three girls. And he's got a good relationship. He's got a relationship with them. Um, he's respected. We'll see more about, about that as we walk through the book of Job. He is, is perhaps... Um, He's, he's the greatest guy anybody who knew him knew. right? So that's, that's what happens in this moment. But I want you to see how in just a moment it's all going to go away. And we talked about the fact that he's wily. Uh, the devil is. He's crafty. What, what happens in this first round of suffering that Job is made to go through? How does it happen? Okay. Uh, how do we know that? He piles it on all at once. While he was yet speaking. While he was yet speaking. Alright, so now let's break down those, those instances. How many? How many bad events happened to him together? Right here in, in Job chapter 1. Alright, I, I knew you had to give you a little time to, to add them together. Four of them. What do we often say with regard to things that are bad? Bad things happen in threes. What does the devil do? I'll one-up you. Let's have four, right? But what about the nature of those things? Where's the first calamity come from? In a general sense. Who's responsible? Okay, so the people are the, the Sabians. These are probably the folks of Sheba, where the Queen of Sheba comes from. Probably from the south, from Arabia, from North Africa. But they're men. They're human beings. All right, And so human beings of their own volition are going to go... Now, the, the devil is at work through them. He sends them up to bring calamity on uh, Job. All right, And then what about the second one? What direction does it come from? Okay, now I want you to think about this, right? It says fire of God. Did that confuse anybody as you, as you read through that? Whose perspective? Who's telling the story? Here. The servant. What does the servant think? Hey, does that tell you something about the theology that people were living under then? Who caused this fire on Job? According to the servant, God. According to the inspired book of Job? The adversary, Satan, the devil. So how, does that, how does that sit with you? Think about the spiritual forces at play uh, that in Job's day, I don't, I don't see anything in Scripture that tells me that that has changed. He, we know he has power in this world. What does he offer Jesus in Matthew chapter 4? Bow down and worship me and I'll give you everything. He's in charge. God allows him. He can't just do it carte blanche without God's permission. He has permission to do whatever he needs to do in order to upend Job's faith. And so he works through nature. Alright, so you got man, nature. What's next? Chaldean. So, what would that be? Man. Humanity. And then what's the fourth one? Alright, so a great wind. Many believe that maybe it was a tornado or a great storm. Um, what happens in that last, that act of nature? And by the way, what do we call it today? If you're an insurance adjuster, this is a, an act of what? 
Act of God. What is it in Job chapter 1? I mean, you don't have to even think. It's an act of the devil, right? He allows this to happen. And so, men, nature, men, nature, what is everybody who's observing this, who has survived this, what, what, are, they, what are they thinking? All right, God's punishing him. That's, that's going to be the big tension that we're going to have. But do they think that this is just a series of coincidences? Does anybody think that? No, this, there's something happening in Job's life. Right, so that's what's happening here in Job 1, verse 14 through 18. He uses those various ones. Um, Job's not even given the opportunity to recover from the bad news when somebody else comes along. And in a matter of minutes, I want you to think about this, that Job went from being the wealthiest man on the planet to somebody who hits rock bottom. He has no children. He has no animals. He has no servants. He's left right there in that period of time. I want you to think about some things with regard to how you protect yourself against Satan. Protect yourself against the attacks that that he brings. First of all, think about your own life. We're going to see the fact that Job was sinless in this situation. I'm going to try to maintain that and, and, and defend that idea. Not that he was sinless. But in this, God says through his inspired writing that he did not sin or charge God foolishly in all of this. That's the point. Because what does Satan say is going to happen? If you allow me to to knock this hedge mostly down and and let me have my way with him and take away all these things, what's going to be the end result? He'll curse you. He'll curse you. But he doesn't. In fact, what's his wife going to tell him to do in the next chapter? Curse God. He hadn't done it. Maybe she has. We don't know. Why would you tell somebody to do something you yourself haven't done? But here we have him not sinning in, the, in regard to this. It's incredible. There's three things that we can do when we're facing the temptation to sin in our life. Number one, identify. What is my weakness? We all have it. We have them. When I look into my own life, what are my weaknesses? Number two, isolate them. Alright, so let me focus on what it is that I'm struggling with in my life and let me attack that because this is a way through which Satan can get in and he can have his way. And number three, let me focus on conquering them. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 3 says, The Lord is faithful who will strengthen and he will protect you from the evil one. And so when we're looking at those areas in our life and all of our lives need refinement. It's It's a scary thought, but all of us have areas in which we need to improve. We can work in identifying where our battle is. Now, what we're going, to, we're going to see with Job is, is that Job's got a very real and raw relationship with God. When he's questioning what's going on, he is not questioning the righteousness of God. He's not questioning the fairness of God. The friends are going to do that. He's going to defend himself against the friends. He wants his relationship restored with God. But he's like all of us. He has areas in which to work. Now, by the way, when it comes to isolating... Something else that we can do to protect ourselves before the storms come, like those that uh, none of us will be where Job was, but when those things come into our lives that knock us off of our feet, why not isolate some of those good things, like the fruit of the Spirit? Ever thought about that? Why not take the fruit of the Spirit? By the way, don't take them all at once. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Why not take one, one week, love, and focus on incorporating that, in, that quality into your life? And then, then when you get uh, work on that, work on joy. And by the time you get to patience, you've, you've got the background of working on those other qualities. 
And by isolating those things, you can protect yourself from the storms that are going to come. One other thing, uh, just before we uh, get to the response at the end of chapter 1, in order to sin, you have got to aim to sin. There's three things to keep in mind when you're at the temptation, the crossroads, of whether you're going to sin in whatever you're going through or not. The A is availability. Is the thing I struggle with, is it available? So you just, I don't know what your thing, things are, but whatever it is, what kind of availability do, do I have with that? If I'm going to sin, it's got to be something I have access to. Number two, what about my intent? Now, I can't help something from maybe happening in my life, but I can, I can control what I desire, what I'm aiming to do. All right, so how do I deal with my intention? I renew my mind. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. I think on the right kinds of things. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. And then means. Do I have the means? You know, we talk about in the court of law, means and opportunity. Do I have the, the wherewithal to do this? And so if I'm going to be successful in my temptation with sin, I've got to check the availability. Don't make it available to myself. And my intentionality. I'm not going to intend. I'm not going to be plotting and planning some way in which I can do this. And if I have to, I'm going to cut myself off from the means of that. And that might get to be extreme. Doesn't Jesus say he's not telling us to do this? He's telling us this is how hard you fight. If your eye or if your hand is the means whereby you can stumble and fall away from God, you take every effort that you need to to keep yourself from succumbing, submitting to that. Alright, so I don't know how Job went through all of that but Job faces all that we have just seen together and what's his response? Naked I came from my mother's womb naked shall I return what else does he say? Blessed be the name of the Lord Now just a couple of things um, Well, Look at verse 20 for a second How does he respond? There's four catastrophes. There's four responses. What are they? Okay, what is tearing his robe? What is What significance does that have? It's mourning. Anguish. It's just a, and you'll see it throughout the Bible, it was certainly a Near Eastern uh, custom that when you lose something, when you're hurt, when you've been devastated, you tear your robe. You're telling, by the way, that's hard for us because we're taking three or four trips to Goodwill every year to get rid of all the stuff in our closet. They didn't have the deep wardrobes we had. This is a, a, an act of sacrifice. This is, this is so bad, I'm going to tear one of not that many garments that I have. Now Job, yes, he's probably got a bigger wardrobe than some of the other folks do, but it's just symbolic of I am in, in pain. All right, so he tears his robe. What else does he do? He, he does, shaves his head. What's that all about? Okay, it certainly would be a sign of humility, but it's also a sign of mourning. Um, it's a drastic... Uh, you'll, you'll even see the Hasidim today. They don't cut their hair. They have a long locks. It's, a, it's, an, it's an extreme act that would have been out of the cultural norm. You wouldn't walk across, upon somebody in a normal situation for whom life is going well and they had their hair, head shaved. That was an indicator automatically. Something bad's going on. All right, what's the third thing? Now, I, I'm not so much sure that that's ceremonial or symbolic. Man, this guy's been brought to his knees. He, is, he has had everything taken away from him. How could you have stood? I mean, he's just, got, he's just gotten word. 
All ten of his kids are dead. Can you imagine going to ten funerals of your children in one day? He's lost. I mean, you think about it. I, I think I've said this before. My dad is a, is a, a, a lifelong full-time preacher. You know, I can just tell you, he's not a millionaire, but he'd always say to us, he'd say, you're my treasure. And I think we all feel that way, right? We can lose a whole lot of things. We don't want to lose our kids. And so he falls on his knees. What else does he do? Put yourself there. When you think about Job's response, even after all this has happened, this is how we, we have reaffirmation of the fact that he's remained righteous. He's kept his integrity. God's going to tell the devil when he comes back into his presence, look, you've incited me to do this, but look, he's maintained his integrity. Now, I want you to think about Job's theology for just a moment. and I, So I can't see the text here without looking at my glasses. Um, Job 1 verse 21 says, uh, He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's almost completely right. Where is he wrong? The Lord, the Lord has taken away. It's false. Who's taken away? Satan. God's given him the permission to do that, but God has not done this. But here's what's remarkable. What does Job think? God did it. And what's Job's response? Even thinking that God did it? I'm going to worship. That challenges us at our core. This is foundational to the book of Job. What do I do when the difficulties of life come? What is my response? Am I going to stay faithful? Am I going to continue to, to worship? Even with all that's going on, Job spiritually is okay with it. He understands that whatever you get on life's journey, you don't deserve it. I heard a man once say, when you have nothing left except God, then for the first time you become aware that God is enough. That's where Job is when we come to the end of Job chapter 1. Um, Job's reaction is core and foundational to the book. Two things. He did not sin. It didn't bring him down spiritually. It didn't lead him to a sinful thought, a sinful word, or a sinful action in this specific thing. And number two, he did not blame God. The New King James says he did not charge God with wrong. Um, there's going to be times where it seems like he's blaming God. But I want you to think in these terms. The friends are going to come forward in the, in the speech cycles that we'll begin to look at on the, on the, in our next class. They're going to be saying things. And what Job is saying is, is if you're, what you're saying about God is true, then this is not right. It's not fair. He's not saying that he believes this is true. He's responding to them. All right. That's chapter 1. Any thoughts or comments before we move on? All right. So here, here we have Job. Job has, has lost his material possessions. He's lost his livestock, everything that he owns. He's lost his children. And then we pick up with the second scene in chapter 2. He still holds fast his integrity. He's still whole. He's still all together. He's the same man that he was prior to these four crises. In Job chapter 27 and verse 5, he says, Till I die, I will not take away my integrity. Even late in the game, he is not going to abandon his integrity. I've not done anything to deserve this to be happening to me, and so it's not fair that it should be happening to me. God comes to his defense. God says, You've incited me to do this without cause that's very important for us to keep in mind 
God knows Job has not done anything wrong, and yet he's allowing him to go through this. All right, so what does Job do next? And what does uh, the Satan do next with regard to Job? Okay, he goes back. And what, what is his request this time? All right. Alright, so I want you to think about this. That there's been a hedge, that's how he describes it, right? And the hedge has been removed, but there's still portions of the wall that are still standing. And what Satan says is, I want to go deeper. You know, somebody may, in fact, be able to survive some of these external things. Uh the, the loss of a child, yes, that's devastating. But let me get let me get closer. Let me get into to touch him. And what's God's only limitation to him? Spare his life. Spare his life. I don't want to show hands. But maybe some of you have had a boil before. A boil. And maybe you think, well, what's the big deal here? This is this is a a boil. Um we we get what the big deal is in Job two, verse seven and verse eight. He's covered in them. Head to toe, side to side. It's so bad that how he responds to this is is he takes a broken piece of pottery. So if you can imagine, it's got a jagged edge, and what does he do? He scrapes himself. Now, I'm sorry, this is a little bit graphic, but he bleeds. He's going to get an infection. It's going to make things worse. But it's the only way he can get relief. Now, Satan has the ability to strike him with any affliction that he wants to. He chooses the one that's going to really get in there and cause problems. This is perpetual. This goes on. It's going to go on for a long period of time. It's so bad that when the friends see him, they don't recognize him. He's sitting in the ashes, scraping himself. Would I be faithful to God in a situation like that? The next thing we see are the friends. They come to Job. And as they come to, to Job, sometimes we're... Um, well, let me say something else about that before we leave on. What are the things that cause, in your observation, in your experience, what causes people to fall away from God? What have you? What are, what are some things you've seen that have caused people to fall away from God? Hypocrisy. Okay. All right. So the bad example of someone else. Tragedy. Okay. Tragedy. Let's let's explore that a little bit closer. Is that G or J? It's J. G. G. It's tragedy. <laughs> For you, you speak French. All right. Um, so what kind of yeah right I forgot the accent. Um, what what are some kinds of tragedies that we go through? Divorce. Okay. Death. Death. Loss of job. Loss of job. Illness. Illness. Any other things that cause, in your observation, <coughs> brothers and sisters who used to be faithful who are no longer here? Things get hard. Huh? Things get hard. Okay. Hardship. Lack of support. Okay. And perhaps one of these areas that we're talking about. Anything else? Loss of family relationships. Okay. Um,
And let's broaden that. It could be friends, family. And, and I don't, I'm not interested in trying to rank these and say some of these are more important than others, but I want you to see in Job's situation, there are three major areas where he has been attacked, where he, where he has suffered loss. Possessions, family, and health. And I don't think we can put all of these under that umbrella, but a lot of them we can. Let's think about that. What about possessions? Somebody loses their job. Somebody mentioned that. Uh, there's a house fire. Um, you get robbed. So I want us to think in terms of a brother or sister who goes through some uh, loss like that. Let's be very aware. Let's reach in there and let's help them because that can be a faith trial for them. Or what about family? Maybe they lose a loved one. Maybe they, they lose a child in a, a car accident. Maybe they lose a spouse suddenly. They're susceptible. Let's be aware in those times and help them. And what about their health? People, when they lose their health, sometimes it can be a faith struggle. Maybe it's something chronic. Maybe it's something degenerative that's MS or ALS or something like that that's going to ultimately take their lives. And they are spiritually vulnerable. Our, our job as brothers and sisters in Christ is to help them and to step in in those times. Um, Satan has learned over time that these are three viable areas where he can be successful. And he's going to strike where he can. Alright, so the boils occur. Um, he, he responds to that. Let me also say this before we get to the friends. What about Job's wife? What's your, what's your assessment of Job's wife? Selfish. Okay, Kim says she's selfish. She's grieving. She's, she's grieving too. She lost everything too. Okay, she lost everything too. Sure. Sure. But she's left behind. Why didn't the devil take her? N no discount to the grief because I agree. Sometimes we give her an unfair shake. Her faith wasn't as great as Job's. It seems to be shallow, right? God, uh, the devil has been observing Job. And in the observation, he's got privy to Job's wife too. Maybe... I don't. I hate conjecture. Let's don't go too deep into that. But he's observing Job's wife as well as Job. What's what is the devil's objective? It's Job. And what does he say that Job is going to do? When you just hit him hard enough, he'll curse God. Hey, what does Job's wife say that she that Job should do? Curse God and die. Maybe, despite her own grief. Of all the things that he took, he left her because he's wanting to destroy Job and show, look, nobody will serve God for nothing. You take away enough. What's Job's response? Well, <laughs> and, and, and yeah, I don't know how that conversation sounded, but he says you're one of the foolish women. Right? Hey, you were all in on the 3,000 camels that, that God allowed us to have. You were, you were, you were fine with the, with the 8,000 square foot house and the, and the boat. and, and all, man, that, You were good with that. The Lord gave. The Lord took away. Let's worship God. He's Now, I'd like to think, because He doesn't take her away, that maybe she benefits. But let's be careful. Our family, when we're struggling, can be a source of our downfall. And sometimes the devil may use our family to keep us from being faithful. Does that ever happen? 
hey, missed you at church today. Uh, the kids came in, we went down to the lake. Or, you know, well, family came in and we just, be careful. Let's be careful not to let our family stand in the way. Let me at least introduce the friends. I want to say this about that, and if I do, I will at least have gotten through chapter 2 pretty much. Um, these friends come from a long way. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Naamathite. We can convince ourselves that they're not his friends, but let me suggest to you that there's at least seven reasons why we know they are his friends. How do we know? Look at verse 11. All of the answers are in verse 11 through 13. How do we know that Job's friends are his friends indeed? Okay, we'll start in verse 11. Okay, they heard. But what does the Bible call them? Friends. I'm going to take God's word on it. So number one, they are his friends. Number two, what else do we know? All right, they shared in this morning. And, and in fact, Job uses the word, or, or the writer of Job uses the word, they came to sympathize, right? They didn't come to empathize because they couldn't. They had not been through what he'd been through. But they felt for him, and they came, so they sympathized. What else? They came to do it all together. They didn't just do it one at, one at a time. Okay, they, they conspired in a good way. They said, we want to come together, and we want to uh, enforce Right, man? And, and by the way, that just, just makes me think of what a wonderful practice we have here when somebody comes forward. I, I mean, because this is when that we, can, we can applaud the friends. What they do here is great. They come together, right? And so what a beautiful picture that is. They made an appointment. They, so there's deliberation. They made an appointment. They, came, they traveled a great distance with him. They came to comfort him, to give him hope and offer encouragement. They cared enough that when they saw him they raised their voices and they wept. They genuinely mourned his misfortune, verse 12. They stayed with him seven days and seven nights without saying a word. Let me end with this. What great example for us when somebody is hurting. When you go to the hospital, when somebody's suffered a tragedy, the biggest thing people worry about is what am I going to say? Don't say anything. Just be there. Just suffer with them. Because they were exemplary friends. And those first seven days, seven nights, 24 hours a day because they were just there to say, I love you and I care. All right. Chapter 3 next time. Yes, ma'am. Thank you.